This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions Podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. One that's been going since 2017 and currently we are well into the 220s in the way of episodes. So my many thanks go to all of you that continue to tune in. Over those episodes and over the years, I've done various series, some still continuing to this day. But a couple of years back, I looked at all the European championships that England had participated in, talking to fans who had followed the side around Europe in the hope of seeing us lift the trophy. That was back in 2020. But now, here we are in 2022, the year of the Qatar World Cup. And I've decided to put myself through it all again and look at how England have done at the biggest tournament in world football. Along the way, I've spoken once again with supporters, but also with players and journalists. I've loved doing it, and I hope you've enjoyed hearing the stories. But we're almost coming to the end of it. There's still a few more to go, though. Because this episode is all about South Korea and Japan 2002. It was the 17th World Cup Finals, the first to be shared by two countries, South Korea and Japan. And it was the first to be held in Asia. They were awarded it back on the 31st of May 1996. Initially, it was contested by three separate bids between South Korea, Mexico and Japan. Mexico were dismissed early, but within FIFA, they were split between the two Asian sides. President Zhao Havalange preferred Japan. Leonard Johansson thought otherwise. In the end, it was share it or neither of you have it. With it being a jointly hosted tournament, For the first time, three nations qualified automatically. Along with Korea and Japan, France, as holders, wouldn't have to go through qualification. Which meant that from the 17th of November 1993, when they failed to make USA 94, until the 4th of September 2004, when qualification for Germany 2006 began, France didn't play a single World Cup qualifier. As 1998 was held in France, which they won, meaning they didn't have to qualify for 2002. And just as France 98 had seen, the competition would cater for 32 nations. 199 nations began the qualification campaign. They were whittled down to four from the Asian region, five from Africa three from CONCACAF, five from South America and 15 from Europe through UEFA. For the first time, the finals saw China, Ecuador, Senegal and Slovenia all qualify. Although the likes of the Netherlands, Romania and Colombia all failed. Colombia were ranked fourth at the time. Australia wouldn't qualify. This despite their 31-0 victory over American Samoa in qualifying. Amazingly, it took them 10 minutes to open the scoring there. As it was jointly held between Korea and Japan, both nations provided 10 stadiums each to be used. And on that front, it was a notable tournament in the fact that Tokyo didn't host a game. The closest was the Yokohama Stadium outside of Tokyo, and that would host the final. It also featured two stadiums with roofs, both in Japan, the Oita Stadium 
and the Sapporo Dome, both at opposite ends of the land of the rising sun. However, this wasn't the first time a stadium with a roof had been used in the World Cup finals. As back in 1994 in the USA, the Pontiac Silverdome in Michigan would host the USA against Switzerland and that would be the first World Cup finals game to ever be played indoors. Korea would feature a stadium on the southern island of Jeju in the city of Sogipo, 481 kilometres from Seoul. It would feature three games. Brazil would beat China 4-0 there. Paraguay would play there twice, once in a group game and then losing out to Germany in the round of 16 match. Initially, groups A to D would play in Korea and E to H in Japan. To get to the finals, England were placed in UEFA's Group 9, alongside Germany, Finland, Albania and Greece. It didn't start well. October 2000, the last game at the old Wembley Stadium. England against Germany. Didi Haman scored for the Germans on a wet, overcast Saturday. England lost by a goal to nil. Kevin Keegan would resign in the toilets afterwards. Days later, England, well, they had a temporary manager in charge, Peter Taylor, and they travelled to Finland and drew nil-nil. The FA now had to appoint a new manager. They appointed Swede Sven Goran Eriksson from Italian side Lazio. Then March 2001, with Wembley being rebuilt, England were travelling on the road across the country. They hosted Finland at Anfield. Michael Owen and David Beckham with the goals in a 2-1 win. They then travelled to Albania, where they won by three goals to one. Owen, Scholes and Andy Cole with the goals. June 2001, away to Greece. This was my first ever England away game. England came away with a 2-0 win in Athens. Goals from Scholes and Beckham. Then the big one. Away to Germany. September 2001. Janka had put the Germans ahead before Michael Owen grabbed a hat-trick. Steven Gerrard scored and even Emil Heskey scored. Beckham scores again. Now Heskey's to his left on March. Emil Heskey, could it be five? Yes, it is! Listen to this. Germany won. England five. Next up, still on the road, St James's Park, Newcastle. England beat Albania thanks to goals from Michael Owen and Robbie Fowler. 2 0. And it came down to the last game, October of 2001. Manchester's Old Trafford hosting Greece. Greece, by far the better team. But Sheringham had pulled us back into the game. But even as the clock was going down, England were 2-1 down and looking to be going into the playoffs. That was until David Beckham stepped up. Beckham to take. The 93rd minute at Old Trafford. Trademark free kick in the last minute and England were going to the World Cup. We were drawn in Group F alongside Argentina, Nigeria and Sweden. This was the group of death. Now in the lead up to the squad announcement, April the 10th, 2002. Manchester United versus Deportivo La Coruña. It's the Champions League quarter-final second leg. David Beckham comes off worse after a tackle with Aldo Dusha, who happened to be Argentinian. But at the time, he hadn't won any of his three caps. It would put Beckham out for the remainder of the season, and it also introduced the nation to the word metatarsal. Manager Sven-Goran Eriksson, he picked 23 players. This was an increase 
from 22. But now, three of the squad had to be goalkeepers. He picked the following. David Seaman of Arsenal. He was the oldest player in the squad at 38 years old. Nigel Martin of Leeds United. And David James of West Ham United. Defenders. Danny Mills, Leeds United. Ashley Cole, Sol Campbell and Martin Keown of Arsenal. Rio Ferdinand was at Leeds United at the time. Wes Brown of Manchester United, Wayne Bridge of Southampton and Gareth Southgate of Middlesbrough. In midfield, Trevor Sinclair, West Ham United, Owen Hargreaves of Bayern Munich, Joe Cole, West Ham United, who was the youngest player in the squad at just 20 years old, Kieran Dyer of Newcastle United, and there was a Manchester United trio of David Beckham, who was captain, Paul Scholes and Nicky Butt. Then up front, five strikers, Robbie Fowler of Leeds United, Michael Owen and Emil Heskey of Liverpool, Teddy Sheringham of Tottenham Hotspur, and Darius Vassell of Aston Villa. There was no Steve McManaman, who had won the Champions League that season with Real Madrid. A groin injury had kept out Steven Gerrard, but there was no Gary Neville, no Alan Smith of Leeds, or David Dunn of Blackburn Rovers. For fans back home and across Europe, World Cups are often viewed in the afternoon or evening. This was a first. Due to the time differences... There were many stories of workers watching matches before going into work. There were pubs opening early and there were TVs being rolled into school classrooms. And as I always like to do is take a look at how the TV stations introduced the tournament to us in those early mornings. These are the things that many remember their World Cups by. The BBC used a track by electronic dance hip-hop band Faithless. It's called Tarantula from the excellent Outrospective album. The intro footage giving those stereotypical Far Eastern images temples, neon lights, bullet trains, sumo wrestlers, and koi carp, all mixed in with the previous iconic moments from tournaments gone by. ITV went with One Fine Day from the Japanese opera Madame Butterfly. Set to drumming kendo warriors, they too featured Michael Owen scoring against Argentina from four years previous. Back here, England's official song was by Ant and Deck, an English double act, even back in 2002. But they were famous for being on kids' TV, Biker Grove, and were now beginning to make their way into Saturday night primetime TV presenting. They came up with the song, We're on the Ball. In fact, whilst I was out there, I remember scouring a few record shops. I've still got CDs of Vangelis, the 2002 official anthem, originally titled Anthem. And I also remember being in a HMV equivalent and finding a staff member and trying to have a conversation of what is this that's playing at the moment, in store, through the speakers. I was pointing to my ear and pointing to the speakers, what with the language barrier. It was an album by an artist called Hikaru Utada and her album Deep River, which I still play to this day, but at the time it seemed to be played everywhere on the radio and on the TV. Apparently, it sold over 2.35 million copies in its first week of release. 
Palace, according to Wikipedia, is ranked as Japan's fifth highest album in debut sales and eighth in the all-time album sales in Japan. There you go. It's a good album. Recommend it. Then there's the mascots. In 1974, there were two mascots, Tip and Tap. But this was the first time there was a trio of mascots. You'd be excused for forgetting them. Uh, They were Atu, Kaz and Nick. They were futuristic computer-generated mascots. One orange, one blue, one purple. Even being out there for the tournament, I really don't remember them being sort of everywhere as you'd expect mascots to be. And then there was the poster. Again, like the mascots, not the most memorable. Looking down at a football pitch from an angle where the pitch markings are, uh, well, these are painted in brush strokes, red, yellow, green, brown. And the centre circle is this revised image of the World Cup trophy. Now I'd like to welcome back to the podcast a very good friend of mine, Dan Hardman-Smart, who uh, you may remember has been on before when we chatted about our very first England away game, which was Greece in qualifying for the 2002 World Cup. Uh, and we also went to the famous Greece game together at Old Trafford that secured our passage. Dan, hello, mate. Hello there. You all right? Yes, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm all good. Good good to see you again. Yeah, 2002. <laughs> it's uh, as, as we just said it's 20 years ago. It's it's quite a while, isn't it? Yes, I remember that free kick quite well though against Greece. Um so he'd taken one literally about 2 minutes before. Like, it was sort of slightly off target and you thought, yeah, he's just getting his range in here. You kind of sensed we were going to get that goal and Yeah. It's a weird feeling because used to used to disappointment watching England. We thought we'd blown it all away after defeating Germany so comprehensively in Munich and then we you know you do that and you think oh typical England then they're going to go and, you know muck it all up but actually yeah. you got a sense that we were going to get that winning goal I don't know it was just yeah and obviously the the feeling in Old Trafford afterwards was quite um euphoric yeah I don't know about you but I the one thing I do remember about that game at Old Trafford was sitting there when we were 2-1 down and it, it was well before the the free kick thinking we'll be going into the playoffs here and I wonder where that'll be. And I wonder if I can go. And <laughs> I wonder if we'll actually get to the World Cup. But fortunately, yeah, we didn't didn't need to go through the uh, the playoff system. But yeah, that that was a good day at, at Old Trafford, which let's say secured our passage. And I don't know that that must have been about September time, I guess. Would it have been in two thousand and one? I think so. I think there was like they felt like there was always a bit more of a gap between qualifying and um, the actual tournament but maybe I think it's because of what we have now maybe the Nations League and all this stuff and they're sort of overlapped don't they all the yeah. tournaments now don't really know when one's sort of starting and when it becomes qualification for something or or something rather so yeah, yeah. maybe that's why it was more a distinct gap yeah. but it was I mean it's strange that the other night when they said this is the last game before the World Cup it was like well aren't we going to have a load of City friendlies where we draw nil nil or Saudi Arabia beforehand. I don't know. <laughs> That's my that was my initial thought. So it's 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 quite a different maybe. You know, people say there was too much international football played then. So I don't know what they're saying now. I guess as well with Qatar being in the winter has sort of played around with uh not just your head but with the uh, the fixture list as well. Yeah, and the, the clubs don't want them to be playing too many games yeah. before the tournament. I guess. But if if that game was in. September, and I'm going to be silly if it wasn't September now, but at what point did we think, right, we're going to go to Japan now? Yeah. Because we'd never been to a tournament before together or individually. No, I mean, I, I went to a game in Euro 96, but that was obviously down the road. So mm. that was a little bit more accessible. I think we just started following England virtually all the home games for a good couple of years, I think, including some of the meaningless friendlies yeah. as well. I think, you know, Greece was the the first easy away game to get to. You know, it was a package holiday deal. Yeah. And then you just get overexcited, don't you? You get the bug and you just think, Japan, okay, that's really accessible. <laughs> you know, 
I think one thing that did appeal to us at the time, looking back, was because it was so far away, none of these idiot hooligans, which we still had a reputation for then, were going to really go. And I think that was quite an, uh, an appeal as well. Yeah, because I guess, yeah, Euro 2000, obviously two years before, there'd been a uh, a fair bit of trouble in Belgium and, and Holland. Um, so, yeah, the the idea of going to Japan and it's... The cannons weren't something I was up for. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. Um, and, yeah, that, that was something as well. It's like that that was what a lot of people I seem to think were saying. It may have been in the news that it is around the other side of the world and not everyone can go um, and it would only be a select sort of person that would go. Yeah, and I think that was our experience when we were there. We, we met fans of other other countries, didn't we, as well, and everyone was really friendly, everyone got on. It was just a really, you didn't, I mean, people did have a few drinks sometimes, but I don't remember ever seeing anyone sort of wasted or looking to pick a fight with anyone. I think it was a, it was a really sort of positive experience there. Yeah, well, I, I looked through all my uh, gumph that I've still got from uh, from 2002, and I found my uh, Singapore Airlines ticket for whatever reason I've still got. I mean, I can't be the only one that keeps all this sort of rubbish. But apparently we flew out on the 30th of May, stopped in Singapore and arrived on the 31st, which I've since found out was the same day Senegal beat France. Yes, uh, that was actually on. It was very difficult to watch, but it was actually on in Singapore Airport when we were changing right. to the flight to Tokyo. But yeah, I think we might have noticed that Senegal were leading and was like then we had to go off and board. So yeah, that was a yeah. I mean, and only only people trying to do these things as inexpensively as possible would fly out to Singapore, which was still another six hour flight to to, to Tokyo and completely sort of far too south. But that was all <laughs> experience as well, I think. The one thing it doesn't tell me on this ticket is how much we actually paid, but it must have been, I don't know, probably about 600 quid, I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, you might recall at the time, you probably blocked this out of our, out of your memory, but we had a lot of trouble um, getting there because our original flights were booked with um, Swiss Air and Swiss Air went bust just before. In, Did they? Yeah, and we all had to get our flights all changed and stuff and, Thankfully, we must have had some sort of protection in place that we were able to, you know, switch to Singapore. But that's why we get we went to Singapore as well. There wasn't there just wasn't any other flights that were slightly more practical uh, that could get to Tokyo quicker. I don't remember that to be honest, but um, yeah, you probably didn't tell me, so I wouldn't panic too much. <laughs> it was the holiday of a lifetime already, so anything you know, anything moving sort of running smoothly was kind of a bit optimistic. I think so. Yeah. Um, I know when we got there, we were, you know, spending the first time we got a meal and spending thousands of yen because it's one of those currencies with a few zeros on the end and thinking, oh, my God, have we run out of money on the first day? You know, so thankfully, things weren't quite as expensive as our pressure certainly led us to believe as well. There was sort of, oh, Japan's really, really expensive. Japan's this, this and this. And I know to go to the pubs and that, they're not into the drinking culture in the same way as Europeans are, that beer was not massively more expensive maybe than London, but it was more expensive. But to eat eat in Japan, it's what they do. They all eat out. They all eat street food. They all eat, you know, it's actually, it was actually really expensive and really inexpensive and a lot cheaper than we were used to in the UK. Yeah. No, I remember the sort of what they were saying in, in the press, our accommodation will be expensive. Beer will be expensive. Um, but yeah, there was, there was a pub that we found. And I, I don't even remember how far away this particular pub was from our accommodation but i do remember it was called a hub pub um which was basically a not technically an irish pub was it i think it was an english pub actually so you don't get them in many places yeah so yeah i think it might have even had like a little um st george's flag on its logo but yeah it was very it was as good as any sort of irish pub i've been to in a european city it had the dark wood you know the kind of those like you know stereotypical sort of yeah this is what a pub is like in quintessential england um Staff were always really friendly in those places, you know, even though they're, sometimes their English was a little bit broken, but obviously far better than our Japanese. And, yeah, they were just, I think it was just a, a shock to see so many people from around the world in one time in Japan. I mean, it's not not necessarily off the tourist trail, but it was quite niche 20 years ago. And I think it's become more popular now as, you know, the world has become more globalised. But then it was quite a unique 
place to have gone to. Not many people could say they have been to Japan, yeah. you know, 20 years ago. So I think they were they were maybe a bit curious about having all these foreigners in their country, you know, and you know, and actually most of the foreigners, like I say, not causing trouble, but actually really embracing the culture. The fact that you know you, they were like, okay, raw fish, I'm going for that. You know? <laughs> I mean, it's strange now as well because you see sushi on every street corner in in Europe, pretty much. Yeah, but then. It was a real new food, all this sort of raw food. I remember them coming out in a restaurant with a big slab of raw tuna. And, of course, at the time, that was uh, it was quite, whoa, what is yeah. this? <laughs> Do they really eat this? But, yeah. you know, now no one would blink an eyelid. You know, it's just going, yeah, that looks really great. So yeah. it was a, a big culture shock, I think, at the time. So, And you can only assume that it was exactly the same in, in South Korea as well. I mean, we were, well, fortunate or, or unfortunate that, that we never had the opportunity to go to go there as well. Obviously, England played all their games in Japan, never got the uh, the chance to go to South Korea, but all the pictures and, and footage that came from South Korea, that looked just as amazing as uh, as Japan did. Yeah, I remember in Korea, they had a lot more sort of people outside watching the games on big screens. Yeah, uh, Naturally, of course, they, they went further than Japan. So I think that possibly helped, you know, sort of get all the people behind them. Um, I think arguably probably at the time they were a better footballing nation as well. Um, so it did look pretty special being out in those, you know, the sort of fan zones, as, as I think now, they would now call them at the time. I think they were just the, the city sort of, you know, authorities put them together. Although I think it would have been also quite intimidating being up, out there if it was a career game, for example. Yeah, well, they all were wearing, I think they all had the same T-shirt they were wearing, all were all wearing red, I seem to remember. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, look. Look, the, the Korean footballer that was sacked by his club was scoring the winner against Italy because he played for Perugia or something. Oh, what, after he scored the winner and then was sacked yeah. by him? Yeah. <laughs> was that the quarterfinal, was it? Or, cause I know they got far. Yeah, they beat Italy and they beat Spain, but I don't know which way round they did it. I mean, right. both, both were somewhat um, dubious refereeing, but anyway. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I remember that, the, uh, the refereeing. Um, but one thing... Um, we did, and it's something that I have never done since following England in, as I say, 20 years. We went without tickets. We went all that way without tickets. Yeah, it's unheard of really nowadays. I think it's arguably one of the last tournaments that was probably pre the sort of, it was on the cusp of when the internet was still becoming popular. Yeah, People sort of you know, easily get tickets and it was a lot more difficult. I think a lot a lot of stuff was done through official um, you know, fan clubs in those days. Luckily, I guess, we knew someone that knew someone that knew someone <laughs> kind of thing, and that's pretty much how, how we managed to get our tickets. I think we applied for that one game when we, we uh went for a, a random game as we often did yeah. when we played or Belgium played Tunisia. I think we might have got that through the official channels. Oh right. Uh, but yeah, we definitely yeah we didn't go with um, any tickets. But I think we went anyway. If we get tickets, it's a bonus. If not, we're going to be in a country for the World Cup, and that's something I would always always recommend. Since you know, having been yeah. in other countries, just just to experience the World Cup, it is a special kind of atmosphere. Usually helps if the host nation does quite well. I think yeah. Um, but um, you know, it's kind of you know, it, it just transforms the country, and you just get this sort. of, yeah, feeling, I guess, of, of being there. It's yeah. a good feeling. Well, the first game that, that we went to was the first England game, England against Sweden, played in Saitama, um, which the the one thing I do remember about that one was we, we sat high up in the upper tier, almost on the, almost on like the halfway line, I seem to remember. But you look around, and obviously there's all, all locals or Japanese natives, but they were all wearing Beckham shirts <laughs> because, I mean, obviously at the time, Beckham was the the player um, and to be idolised. But that that is my overriding memory of that first game. I don't really remember Sol Campbell's header. Uh, yeah, vaguely remember it. I think I remember taking the, I guess, the equivalent of a sort of underground train quite far out of Tokyo. It was almost the end of the line, I think. Yeah. Like it took a long time. I remember getting our flag out on that train. I think it was this one. Um, oh, okay, yeah. From our hometown, Bishop Stortford. And an Australian piped up, what town's that? 
um, we go, oh, it's Bishop Stortford. And he goes, oh, I used to live there. And he just realised when the world is a very, very small place. And I remember being in the stadium and, and a lot of people around us, they weren't eating hot dogs and burgers, but they had huge bento boxes on their laps. And that was the sort of the, the food you got in a Japanese stadium rather than a, um, a British one. And I think it was probably Saitama might have been the most elegant of the stadiums in terms of the facilities. I think it was like going to one of those posh cinemas. You had like the big drinks uh, holder. You yes. Drink in, and it was all like, this is not like, and bear in mind, this, we were still playing at the old Wembley then, weren't we? Or just, yeah. uh, just got rid of it. Yeah. You know, the old, so the, the facilities were like a, um, a slightly different level. <laughs> Do you know, I'd forgotten about those cup holders, but you're right. Yeah. And I seem to remember there was a fair bit of leg room. Yeah. Yeah. Which we certainly <laughs> didn't have at Wembley. No. <laughs> Uh, one thing uh, you mentioned that flag, the, the Bishop Stortford flag. It's my sister made that, and I specifically asked her to put on the reverse side the Japanese flag, which she couldn't get wrong. Although she she got the South Africa one wrong um, when she made that one for me eight years later or whatever it was. But yeah, the, there was the, uh, the the Japan flag on on the reverse, and I I seem to remember that that was quite appreciated um when uh when when they'd see on one side an england flag and then on the other side the japanese flag they the japanese public took to the english people i'm sure a lot of the other supporters yeah. really well i think also they didn't they didn't understand culturally that we took to them i remember mm. i think we saw them get knocked out by turkey in the second round we went to the, the hub pub yeah. to watch them there there was a few in there and we were like supporting japan and they were like but well, why are you supporting japan you know, well, you've supported England during this thing. You know, we're really impressed with your welcome. That was like a weird thing. Like, we don't really play football very well. Why are you supporting us kind of thing? It was a, but, you know, we, I think, yeah, everyone that went there took to them as well and wanted them to do well. Um, it's a shame they couldn't get just a little bit further. Yeah. Well, the Hub Pub was obviously where we uh, we had a fair few drinks. And I think one night I had a fair too many and, and swapped one of my England shirts with a uh, with a Japanese lad. Who, who gave me a, I think we swapped a 96 one for a 2000 one or, or something like that. Um, but the Hub Pub was where we watched Argentina, uh, the Argentina game, because we didn't get tickets for that. And where we were based in Tokyo, it was going to be a, a fair old distance to go. Where was that one? That was right up in, in the north, that, wasn't it? That was in Sapporo. And I, I think at the time they hadn't built that tunnel. There's now a tunnel that the railway goes through. Okay. Would have made it slightly, still quite a long way to get to. I think when we weighed it up, it wasn't just we could get a ticket, but it wasn't really feasible to pay the transport to get there, right? Uh, get back, and so we decided to um, give that one a miss. And I remember getting to the, um, I think we got to the pub about lunchtime ish, um, and because we wanted to put the flags up in the pub and yeah. make it a bit, and they were trying to tell us that actually the game didn't kick off to eight o'clock local time. <laughs> <laughs> and, we were going, and we were like, going, yes, we know. And they were like, but no, it doesn't kick off till eight o'clock. They keep having this go. Like, you can't come in now. It's too early. We're like, no, we're coming in. <laughs> and we got set up there. And yeah, it was it was a great it was a great atmosphere. Obviously, when that, that penalty went in, I don't yeah. really remember much about that game. Probably starting drinking at lunchtime didn't really help. But I do, I do remember the penalty. And that was a, a kind of, yeah, an elation. You know, we all felt like Beckham felt once when, you know, yeah. when that hit the back of that. Yeah, a lot of demons off his back off that one, especially after four years before. Uh, again, this hub pub, uh, I've got a lot of good memories about it. And I've I've been back to Japan since. I know you have. It's still there and it's still exactly the same. I found it. It's I think it's, it's relatively near that famous crossroads area of, yeah, of Shibuya, Japan, yeah. Shibuya. Yeah, Shibuya. Yeah, it's quite, yeah. We, we used to come out of the... Um, uh, the station and we kind of knew our, our way i think it was diagonal across up and left or something you know so. <laughs> yeah, see it's 20 years ago there are stuff that we can remember we'd never have to get to the pub <laughs> i've made some notes here that and, and you've already mentioned the tunisia we went to see tunisia belgium and that was one that we uh that we got tickets for properly you say yeah i, I believe so yeah one thing we didn't get was um a hotel room in the southern island of Awita. So I remember watching the game and then just staying up um, sort of all night waiting for the, the first train back. 
I mean, thankfully, that part of Japan is in the south, so it's quite warm. Yeah. Can't remember massive amounts about the game, other than I remember Oita being probably a city that no one's ever heard of, despite it being probably bigger than Birmingham, you know, how these things work. Yeah. Um, but they, as a city, because of that, sort of put a lot of entertainment on. I remember yeah. we painted T-shirts or something and, and did, you know, it, it was a lot more, there was a lot more going, you know, there was a fan park where we had food and drink beforehand. It, that seemed to be really embraced there. Um, I remember the Belgian fans, you know, seeing that Belgian boys like to party, drinking sake and Bacardi. <laughs> that, that chant has stayed in my head, I think, ever since. And yeah, it was a, it was a pretty, uh, and interesting is that I think if you get to go to a World Cup, always try and look at those more unusual games, shall we say, you know, yeah. they're, um, they're always worth, you know, because they're often also in more unusual stadiums. The big, the big countries obviously play in the big famous stadiums, but sometimes the smaller stadiums, it's a different kind of experience. Well, I think that stadium, I think it got called the, the, the big, was it that the one that was called the big eye or something like that, but it, it, it had a roof, I think, or, or a partial roof. Okay, I don't remember them needing the roof on the day we were there. I thought it was quite a sunny day, was it not? I can't remember. I don't know. Did it not go into the evening? Was it not an evening game? Uh, it might. Yeah, it might have, yeah. I guess we got there quite early because we travelled on an overnight train. That's that's definitely experience overnight train in Japan as well. Yeah. So put that bucket list if you haven't done it. So we must have got there quite early. So maybe I just remember being there for a long time. Yeah, I I remember it was we sat behind the goal. I think, and I I seem to remember this vision in my head looking down the pitch towards the other goal and it's got like these arches over the the pitch from either either side stand and I think a roof would retract and or, or meet in the middle um something along those lines yeah so we we went to to Sweden we missed the the Argentina game then there was uh <laughs> I've, I've been to a fair few dull England games in my time but we uh we then had the the fortune or, or misfortune of going to watch Nigeria um, in Osaka. And that was one of the hottest days I seem to remember, that one. It was baking hot and um, it was very early kickoff. It was the earliest kickoff of, of their spree slots. I think yeah. it was around the early sort of lunchtime kind of kickoff. Dread to think. I, I feel sorry for the people back at home that had to get up at city o'clock in the morning to watch that absolute <laughs> Dire nil-nil draw. I don't remember any highlights of the game, uh, apart from being hot. Really, it was a pretty, it was yeah. pretty awful. It's like it's like we knew we needed to get, we needed a point, and that was enough to get through, wasn't it? Yeah. No, there's there is very little I uh, I can remember about that. Other than I think that was where we, or I know I saw the England coach come in to one game, and it must have been that one. I think. Yeah, I think you went off. And watched, you know, along with a hell of a lot of um, the population, local population, yeah. at David Beckham. Um, I remember going to an actual having a pre-match beer. It's very distinctive memory because we were put sort of in a, a back room, and we sat cross-legged like we were drinking, like we were having a Japanese tea. But instead, they came out with like beers for us. So yeah. quite an interesting um, um, uh, place to have a drink a pre-match. Because that's that's the the thing over there is a lot of sitting on the floor or a lot of sitting with your feet in troughs as it were like sitting low down um and and having your food and and drink like that but yeah that that was the one game I think where I uh I went and saw the England coach come in and I remember coming back to uh to you guys and yeah all sitting cross-legged in some back room somewhere (laughs) there's that and then there was all the the other sort of new experiences of of the time just little things like chopsticks and, and noodles and green tea little things like that that weren't a well that they i don't ever remember being a thing over here back then no i mean you might have gone to a chinese restaurant and got chopsticks but yeah. most most english people went can we have a knife and pork as well <laughs> the same time? So it's where i learned to use chopsticks i can't say i particularly know how to use them very well it was the first time i think we had ramen which was, yeah which uh, delicious but you know living in london now ramen is another one that's fairly ubiquitous around the city so yeah we, i mean it was it was there was some interesting food that was um that's now as i say yeah, really like mainstream over here really although certainly i don't know if we do it quite as well as you could get yeah. it in tokyo 
no, no, it's all always going to be a uh, a bit better over there or far more distinctive over there. So we we got through the the group stage. I'm trying to really think of other games that were on at the time because the one thing I do remember about going to Japan is yes, this is great. I'm going to going to a World Cup, but at the same time, I want to experience the country, which which I think is what we did. But I, I kind of feel I kind of neglected a lot of the sort of the other games on the telly. We didn't really watch a, a huge amount, which I can't really remember any of the other games other than the Republic of Ireland were out there um, as well. I think they were in, I think they actually went to Japan first and then Korea. Um, I might be wrong there, but yeah, I don't remember many of the other games. No, I think if, if I remember rightly, I mean, we, we you know, obviously we, we did things during the day more often than not, whether that yeah. was, you know, a little tea ceremony, I remember quite clearly, um, for example, um, we did go back to the pubs, some of the pubs um, in the evening. I do remember catching, I think, an island game in yeah. a pub that was basically the size of my front room. It was that kind of small, it's, that's how it is. But actually, it was quite difficult to watch games, I think, because they don't have that pub culture in the same way. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it was even on their free-to-air TV, if I remember rightly. So um, it was it was quite an unusual circumstance there. I do remember, and it's probably quite a unique experience as well, watching some games in karaoke booths. So yes. if you've got a karaoke booth, you we we absolutely you know blasted out a few tunes and then <laughs> put turn turn the channel onto something to watch some football and you know you could get drinks, you could dial down for pizzas. It was like a really, really you know you had your own private sort of like room yeah. to sort of watch do what you like in really. Oh, I'd forgotten about those, but yes, you're right. Yeah, I do remember. Um, watching a few in there. Uh, and then the the last game that we physically saw, uh, we went to Niigata um, to watch the, was this what they called the round of 16 or second round? Um, yeah. But that was the Denmark game. And that chucked it down that night. I seem to remember we've got a bullet train there, or, or, or fast train certainly, and, uh, and saw us go 3-0 up at halftime and, and everyone was doing the conga. Yeah, pretty much it. I think Rio Ferdinand might have even opened the scoring. I think with quite did. A, quite a decent goal. I think he got Chris, Chris sort of a half body kind of shot. Possibly even Heskey scored that afternoon, did he? He did. He did. Go on. Yeah. And for the other goal scorer, I mean, he's owing to obvious. Yeah, it is. Game. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, I know we got there quite close to kick off, if I remember rightly. It was all what you know. Um, it was raining. Obviously, we didn't go exploring a city in, yeah. in that kind of weather. I remember getting straight into the stadium. Um, again, I think we were sort of, sort of behind the goal, sort of to the left, I think. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. You just kind of felt that. We're up for this today. I think we might we might turn this lot over. And we did really comfortably. And I thought, you know, it felt like we were going into the, the Brazil game with a lot of confidence. And um, we didn't see that as we were flying back. And, yeah, we got our times. I mean, obviously, we didn't know what, what was going to happen. But that was the way we'd done it. We'd booked our flights home. On the uh, on the date and almost bang on the time of the Brazil game, yeah, and yeah. So I don't think I've even ever watched that ever since. You know, I think because we got knocked out, I thought I'd watch it. I'd rewatch it. Um, obviously, we had a spoiler alert. You know, in terms of when we came off the plane, one of the stewardesses seeing your England yeah. shirt went, "Oh, sorry, you're out." <laughs> I yeah. remember that, too. and I just remember getting back and thinking I could watch the highlight. I don't think even watch the highlights. You know, it just didn't. You know, it kind yeah. of like. You'd come back from it, and we were out. It was kind of all over. Yeah. You know, so um, I, I remember watching the final after that. But I can't even remember much about the the semis. Well, this is where Turkey, Turkey got to the semis and came third, I think, didn't they? Well, Turkey and Korea got there, and it kind of felt well. This this final is going to be obviously Brazil and Germany, and I think mm. it kind of you 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 know. When think, you know you want these underdogs to do well, but you realistically realise the Korean and Turkey, um, you know they were going to run out of steam eventually, and yeah. um, so we got the predictable final. I don't remember the final being particularly brilliant of any by any stretch. I don't even um, remember what sort of time it was. It can't have been bang in the morning again. Was it probably a midday? It one? would have been. I think it was an eight o'clock kickoff over there, so it would have been sort of midday-ish for us. I think. Yeah. Maybe maybe even a bit later. Maybe they did kick off a bit, but yeah. I think Ronaldo scored for them, Brazil, didn't he? And they won out. 
comfortable sort of it's one of those nondescript world cup finals as as often happens these finals are often an anti-climax compared to the rest of the tournament yeah no it was yeah 20 years ago and surprising actually how much you can remember <laughs> when you get two heads together sort of picking each other's brains and oh yeah i do remember that one i think it was probably one of the like the turning points in probably the the world cups where it maybe just became a little bit more commercialized yeah yeah i think it's i think from my side probably the i've been to you know the world cup also in south africa which was much more disorganized it felt than, than that one i think i think it is it, it probably i hope it's a fairly standout world cup because it's the first one that went to asia yeah i mean people always talk about the mexico world cup in 1970 being a pretty standout one i think probably for the quality of the football but obviously you know in a football mad north american country for the first time that might have been something that played into it so yeah it'd be interesting to see i mean perhaps Qatar's going to surprise us. I think a lot of people think oh, it's just it's just an oil-rich country with no footballing history where the stadiums aren't going to leave any kind of legacy. So I don't think people are particularly excited um, about the Qatar World Cup in the same way that, that Japan, you know, even USA 94, you know, when people went there, you know, yeah. going to a, a country that has never really quite embraced soccer and, and sort of kick-started there. So, but yeah, we'll see. We shall see. Yes, it's not far away now, Qatar 2022. Dan, always great to speak to you. We uh, we need to catch up for a beer very soon. Yeah, you're very welcome. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks to Dan there. As he alluded to, England dropped out of the 2002 World Cup after losing to Brazil in Shizuka. Michael Owen put us ahead in the 23rd minute before Rivaldo equalised right on half-time. Then five minutes into the second half came one of those infamous moments. Ronaldinho, who was at Paris Saint-Germain at the time, scored from a free kick, but it was one of those cross-come-shot free kicks that caught David Seaman out, who was off his line. Did he mean it? He says he did. Foul by Scholes. Ronaldinho takes, and David Seaman's caught off his line, and Brazil take the lead. Ronaldinho has scored. David Seaman is caught cold. A surprise, surprise goal from the Brazilians. A rueful moment for Seaman. And England must come from behind somehow. Although the drama continued as seven minutes later, he would see red after a foul on Danny Mills. Brazil held out and would continue onwards. But this, against ten men, was one of those moments where we really let an opportunity slip through our hands. We mentioned Ireland, but they weren't without their issues too. Roy Keane had a falling out with Ireland manager Mick McCarthy just as the tournament was about to begin. Basically, he said the side's preparation was poor and unprofessional. He was later seen walking his golden retriever back home. They made it through their group though, finishing second behind Germany, but they'd lose to Spain on penalties in the round of 16. Germany well, they would record an 8-0 victory over Saudi Arabia, who lost all their games, conceded 12 and didn't score once, and were ultimately the worst team of the tournament. France clearly had issues too. Not only were they holders, but were European champions too, having won in 2000. And they had won the 2001 Confederations Cup. There was no Zinedine Zidane. He was ruled out with a tear in the median third of the quadriceps. As we said though, they played their first game against Senegal in Seoul. They would lose 1-0. A result up there with Cameroon's victory over Argentina in 1990. They would go on to draw with Uruguay and lose to Denmark. But France, they would finish bottom. Not score once and become the first holders to fall at the group stage in the tournament's history. Onwards throughout the competition, 
The second round pulled up a few surprises. Turkey would knock Japan out. America would put Mexico out. But the big surprise was Korea, leaving it late and needing extra time to put Italy out. So both Turkey and South Korea being the surprises, they both made the semi-finals, although both lost by a goal to nil. They would meet, though, in the third-place playoff match. A match which saw Hakan Sukur score the World Cup's fastest-ever goal after 10.8 seconds. Turkey would finish third, their highest-ever finish. The final was Germany against Brazil. The Germans had got there by beating Paraguay, USA and South Korea. But the Brazilians would win the trophy in the Yokohama Stadium, thanks to two goals from Ronaldo. And that's the story of the 2002 World Cup, held in Japan and South Korea. One I will always remember. Thanks to Dan for joining me for it. I hope you've enjoyed it too. Perhaps you also have memories of it. Don't forget you can catch up on all the previous World Cup episodes by heading to your podcast provider of choice or threelionspodcast.com. You'll find them there. Also, if you're on social media, just search Three Lions Podcast. You'll see much more there than just the podcast and see who I've previously spoken with. 2002 could have been seen to be the beginning of the golden generation. 2006 was to be held in Germany. Could they come together and win it there? Stay subscribed as I'll be taking a look at that one very soon. Once again with another England fan who was there. I hope you can join me for that one. But until then, take care, look after yourselves. Cheers. Cheers.